0: Romans 12, we started last night in this message and we, we said we're looking at the motivation, the call to presentation, separation, and then transformation and the conversation that all is coming out of this matter of, uh, of noticing the mercies of God. We could say a constant consideration of the mercies of God resulting in a constant conversation a biblical conversation conversation in our bible you know has to do with lifestyle it's not just the conversation verbally but it's actually how we live and that's a that's a great word for that because your walk does talk your talk does talk and my dad would always say as i was growing up your talk talks and your walk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks and it is the the verbal and and the uh, doing of it And so we began looking last night at the motivation. We started there where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, they just sang about the mercies of God. Actually, at least the one hymn we sang was certainly about the mercies of God. Last night, song after song was about the gospel, the fact that we're saved. It's so fitting for this. But we think of Romans chapter 1 to 11. We have forgiveness of sin, we have justification, reconciliation, redemption glorification, the Holy Ghost, the fact that we're set in the church, all the grace of God, all the mercy of God, God withholding what we deserve. In prayer this morning again, I was reminded to say, thank you, Lord, I don't have what I deserve. So glad God has not given me what I deserve. But instead, He's given me what I could have never deserved, which is His marvelous grace. In His mercy, He has kept back the punishment that I deserve. The eternal punishment I deserve. And we mentioned last night the mercies we read of in Psalm 103, Lamentations three twenty two and 23. Uh, Ephesians 2, God who is rich in mercy. Titus 3, according to His mercy, He saved us. So thank the Lord that God made it clear to you and to me, those of us that are saved, those of us that are the brethren, He made it clear to us that we are guilty. We were guilty so then <clears throat> we could humble ourselves and have mercy God gives grace to the humble, and He gives mercy to the humble. So the presentation, we covered that last night. Present, remember, it's also translated what word in Romans 6.13? Anybody remember? Yield, that's right. And we talked about a yielding, a giving over. By the way, the Christian life comes down to a constant choosing that we make to yield to the Lord or to yield to sin. Yield to the Holy Spirit or yield to flesh. There's not some big magical pill that you take, some big one-time crisis decision that some people preach. It's actually a lifestyle of continually yielding to the Lord. My dad has often, you know, preached in my hearing and talked about how on a regular basis he has to say, hey, Bob Mitchell, drop dead, because, <laughs> you know, his mind goes one way his flesh wants to go one way. His will wants to go one way. And yet he knows what God says. And he says, Bob Mitchell, you're not running the show. Jesus is. And that's the idea. It's saying, Lord, I'll say yes to you who died on the cross of Calvary. Yes to Jesus who said yes to the cross. And I'll say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a constant matter of yielding. And here we have this yield yourselves unto God. And, and this is a call to do this now. Do this right away. Don't wait on this. There's an aorist tense here and it's you need to do this and you need to do it now. And and then I would caution to remember that this is not a one-time event. Well, I did that. I remember I was saved and and I said, Lord, I yield you my body and that's that. I just took care of that forever. Well, yes, yes. However, you got to keep doing that because it is a continual yielding to the Lord. And we'll see that fleshed out and the rest of the chapter, certainly the rest of the chapter from 3 down to 21 and really all the way to chapter 16, 27, is all something that we're involved in on a continual basis. So remember, a constant consideration of the mercies of God resulting in a constant conversation of pleasing the Lord. So yield yourselves unto God. Present your bodies. You live in your body. You, you use your body. You're a steward of your body, your frame, your members, the use of your body, the care of your body, all that is entailed in this idea of the body. Let's yield ourselves to the Lord. Then we closed out last night looking at separation because he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, sanctified, set apart, meet for the master's use. And we saw the practicality of that. In places like 2 Timothy, you've got to turn off some things that you could listen to. I mean, in that particular case, it's two men that even were preachers in the church at Ephesus. And yet they had veered away, saying the resurrection has passed already. So they have been separated from, no more, Timothy, should you give your ear to them. Because they're vessels of dishonor. And what is in them, is, it will pollute you. And you will not be a vessel unto honor, meet, or fit for the master's use if you allow them to speak into your ear. We've we've got to grow up and be a holy people when it comes to what we're consuming through the ear gate. And we saw over in the book of Proverbs that uh, to keep our heart with all diligence will mean we say no to certain things. We don't listen to certain things. Anything that's contrary to this book. And we saw that uh, we must control our eyes. We must not look upon that which displeases the Lord. And we must ponder the path of our feet and have a purpose in life where we're going so that we don't get into sin because we live a separated life. And, and it's not a, a miserable life of separation. If it's, if it's enjoyable, I can't do it. You know, I'm a Christian. You know. It's not that. It's knowing what pleases the Lord and obeying His commandments. And here's the difference between a saved and a lost person. His commandments are not grievous to us. His commandments are not grievous. They are not this heavy burden. Now, sometimes people will come up, burdened, come up with burdens, and they'll heap them on us. And then we realize that's actually not a biblical burden. I don't have to bear that. And you learn that in your church. You sort through those things with your pastors in the context of the church. But I've been around some people. They say they're Christians. and They've got, I mean, they've got so many burdens and rules they would want to put on you. Anybody remember when preachers would rail against facial hair? There's no biblical basis for that. I knew a a pastor in New Hampshire, and his wife passed away. She went to heaven, and he married a woman that was several years younger than him. And another preacher was trying to run him down to me and say, you know, I can't believe he married a younger woman. I said, where's that forbidden in the Bible? I just said, what, are you jealous? You wish you you could trade yours in for a younger model? You know, what's going on with you? But he was really, he was trying to, you know, really judge that man. The lady was saved. She loved the Lord. He can marry whom he will, only in the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. But he was try, this other guy was trying to put a burden on him that you someone has to be within so many years of your age to marry them. Aren't you thankful that's not in the Bible? I mean, it, but it's sad what people will put on burdens that, uh, that, that they, don't, they actually don't want to apply to them so often as a, as a hypocrite moves. But the biblical injunctions... Thou shalt and thou shalt not. They are for God's glory and for our good always. They are not grievous to save people. And so we live holy lives separated. He says, holy, acceptable unto God, and then which is your reasonable service. We talked last night about the little animals and the little birds and the lambs all the way to the bullock, all of the turtle dove, all of those that were sacrificed, they did not reason at all about the sacrifice that involved their body. There was never a sheep that said, Oh, what an honor to lay down my life here in the, in the worship of God and have a little part in this great economy of the blood being shed and, and the atonement and all. No, they were just taken and they were slain and their blood was spilled out and they were presented there before the Lord and they didn't reason any of it. We actually reason and we say... Think of His mercies, and I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. And then we looked at uh, verse 2, because the word and connects. So, and be not conformed to this world. Not just taking everything the world says and does, and then we do the opposite. You you can't live that way. That's ridiculous. But understanding the world is wrong at the root level, so the thoughts and intents of the world, the motivation of the world, the, uh, the system of the world the spirit of the age the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience the antichrist system the world lying in the lap of the wicked one the orderly arrangement of the world that's what the word cosmos speaks of all of that we reject all of that and it's really just a natural outflow of saying yes to the lord it's 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 not that we continually live our lives just making sure we're not quote worldly and we shouldn't be worldly because we're not worldlings we're citizens of heaven. We're children of God. But it's not a, f- a continual focus on no, no, no to the world. But really, it's yes to the Lord, which then will will only result in saying no to the world. We don't want to displease the Lord. We love the Lord. So we closed out last night saying, well, is it a heart issue? And we looked at Proverbs 4. Certainly, it is a heart and certainly Out of the heart are all the issues of life, and then we don't want to influence the heart with anything that is sinful. So now we move tonight to the idea here of transformation, the command to, but be ye. So the word, but there, be not conformed to this world, but on the contrary, adversative conjunction. There's a great fancy phrase. I learned that one from my dad, too. Adversative conjunction, but be ye transformed. How, by the renewing of your mind, what will the result of that be, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, For as we have many members in one body, that's the human body, as we have many members in one body that, and he says one body, so there must only be one human body, right? (laughs) Well, no, it's a generic usage of the body. Same thing you see over in 1 Corinthians 12. As we have many members in one body, and all members, the the fingers and the hands, the eye, the ear, etc., have not the same office, so we, being many, now he speaks of the local church, are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Compare all of this with 1 Corinthians 12, and you'll have good, sound doctrine on the church, the body of Christ. Having then gifts differing. What's the next phrase? We're looking at 12, 6. Having then gifts differing. Everybody say it out loud. According to the grace that is given to us. And then we'll move on from there. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you in Jesus' name that we can read your word, and we can be strengthened, we can be edified, By what we see here, may we have humble hearts and present ourselves before you even now to hear what you have for us and to obey it. Help me to preach, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Transformation. Instead of conformation to the world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, be is a being verb. So this is not just one and done. I went forward, I kneeled down, I said, Okay, Lord, I present my body a living sacrifice. I won't be conformed to the world, I promise. And, uh, and I will be transformed, so I, I claim it in Jesus' name. Therefore, that's all done, Brother Russ. I can just move on. No, it's a present tense being verb. I love to pay attention to the being verbs. You've all heard me say this a hundred times. I love to pay attention to them in the Bible. Am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been. This has to do with a lifestyle. This is continual. Be ye transformed. It's like be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled. Be being filled. It is a present tense being verb. And so, lifestyle, the word uh, transformation, that Greek word is translated transfigured in Matthew 17 too. What happened in Matthew 17 too? Jesus went up on a mount and he was transfigured. And in the same way, we are changed more and more into the image of Christ. This has to do with the mind being, here's a great word, renovated. A mind being renovated. And over in Isaiah 55, I was reading this yesterday in my devotions, and so I'm just going to share this with you. Isaiah 55, and honestly, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Seek ye the Lord, verse 6, while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And that's what we preach to lost people, right? Forsake your way. Repent. Repent. Let the wicked forsake your way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So, have you been saved? If you have, you've forsaken your way. That's repentance. You've forsaken your way to go in the way, the truth, and the life way, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will the Lord do when you do that? He will have mercy upon you and abundantly pardon. So think about it. You've been saved. If you're, if you're a born-again person, you've been saved. You have forsaken your way. The Lord has had mercy upon you. So by the mercies of God, be conformed to the image of Christ. It goes on here, for my thoughts, God's thoughts, are not your thoughts. Now the Bible, this is God's thoughts. These are God's thoughts. His judgments. His judgments. God has judged everything god has not just an opinion but a judgment on everything and we say people agree with the judgments of god on whatever the bible speaks on for my thoughts are not your thoughts open this up what's god thinking about (laughs) look in the bible and find out neither are my your ways my ways saith the lord now all of your ways and my ways all are rooted in thoughts before we did it we thought it Now, sometimes there's very little gap between the thinking and the doing. My mom probably told me a million times growing up, Bobby, think before you speak. And just because it's true doesn't mean you need to say it right now. Amen? Some people have an idea. Well, I just say what's true. Well, there is a time for every purpose under heaven. Amen? And so just because it entered into my mind, whether from down here or here, or from just out in the ether. you know, It doesn't need to immediately come flying out of my mouth. And just because we thought it doesn't mean we need to immediately do it. We need to ponder the paths of our feet. We need to be sober. But your, your actions are coming from thoughts. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. And what's the difference between his thoughts and ways and our thoughts and ways? He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth... How much higher are the heavens than the earth? So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void or empty, it won't be fruitless, it won't be vain, but it shall accomplish that which I please. What pleases God? That's another way of saying the will of God. It will accomplish the determinations, the will, the good pleasure of God. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so you think of God's words and God's thoughts and our minds being transformed, we being transformed by the renewing of our mind. How's that going to be accomplished? It's going to be a lot of this. Going in here, and a lot of receiving with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. That context is Bible preaching, by the way. James 1. Hearing the word of God preached, and not fussing against it, not getting angry at it, not being swift to answer back about it, but actually swift to hear and slow to speak, meekly receiving it, and then reading it, memorizing it so that we may maul it over so we may chew on it so we may really meditate on it so that it strengthens us internally and then as we take all of that and we have the doing of it because jesus warned you can cometh and heareth and doeth i'm giving those those tenses because they're all present tense you can be one that cometh it's continually coming out and listening and hearing And then you must be doing, because if you come and you hear continually, but you don't do, you're deceiving yourself. You're building a house on sand. And so we're transformed by having the Word of God accurately understood. That's so important. Accurately understood. That's one reason we need the church. In the church, we have the manifold wisdom of God. God. In the church, we learn to grow up in the faith. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And we're reaching conclusions about what the Scripture says as a church led by the pastors. It's not just everybody on their own reaching conclusions. I continually challenge Midcoast Baptist Church, read the Bible, dig in the Bible, meditate on the Bible, memorize the Bible, but do not reach conclusions of the interpretation and application all on your own. The Lord set you in a body. And when you're doing this all on your own, that tends towards heresies in the church, it tends towards divisions and heresies. God's plan works, but God's plan humbles us. It humbles us. It's for the meek, it's for the lowly. Because you see, our natural tendency is, well, I, I can just do it all on my own. I mean, I, and people even say, I believe in the priesthood of the believer. Well, I do too, of course but show me in the Bible where there's a priest with the Lord who's disconnected from the temple, disconnected from the other priests. We learn together. And God's, it's spelled out so plainly in the pastoral epistles, for instance. And so receiving as a church member, this is God's Bible college. This is God's biblical university and seminary. That thing over in Wake Forest, it has no, you can't even compare it to this. This is God's school, and you can't go any higher than this school. Matter of fact, in the Bible, in the New Testament, you check every single time you see Christian New Testament biblical teachers, every time it's teachers in the church. It's never parachurch. It's never radio. Well, there was no radio, Brother Bobby. Yes, I'm aware. Thank you. (laughs) There's no radio preachers. There's no just loose-knit website teacher and all that. God's teachers are in the body. And so we're transformed by the renewing of our mind by the Word of God. Now, obviously you have other places like uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 would expound upon this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 1-5, where he talks about we're casting down imaginations, what we think up. You know? I'll tell you one of the worst things, I think I said this at Calvary back in March, one of the worst questions you can ask when you're studying the Bible, uh, talking about the Bible with others, is this question here. Well, what does this passage mean to you? That's a horrible question for Bible study. It's a a horrible question. It doesn't matter what it means to you and to me. It means what it means if we'd never been born. What does the passage say? How should we understand this rightly interpreted in the context comparing spiritual things with spiritual? In other words, Scripture with Scripture what does it say not how does it make you feel how does it make you feel what does it mean to you but we cast down our imaginations what it, and what well i'll tell you what i think about that subject well i'll give you my opinion on that now look if you know me you know you're looking at an opinionated person i've got opinions about opinions my opinions have great grandchildren If you know my dad, you know that I got the opinionated thing. You know, I I got it fair and square. We have opinions on everything. But so what? You're allowed to have opinions too. You know, a biblical word for opinion is heresy. That's right, over in Galatians chapter 5. That's one of the ideas there. It doesn't mean all opinions are bad. You can have opinion on food. We ate uh, the, the chili today. That Was it you that made it, Kirk? And Danielle said, "I love that chili he made. We should put corn in our chili." Well, that's her opinion. It's 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 not, it's not bad. I, by the way, I liked it a lot too, and Dana did too. But as far as changing our family recipe, I don't know about that. That's her opinion. She's allowed to have that opinion. That's okay. But we don't have opinions when it comes to this. We submit to this. We find out what this book says. We have it accurately interpreted, accurately and biblically applied, and we submit to it. And so we're casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ, having our minds transformed. You know the word transformed there in Romans 12 it's from a Greek word that we would say today there's a metamorphosis going on we're just slowly being changed second corinthians 3:18 uh, puts it so uh, so wonderfully but we all with an open face beholding as in a what is it as in a glass didn't somebody else write about us looking in a glass and and then either walking away and doing nothing about what we saw, or submitting to the reality of what the glass shows us, what the mirror shows us. What biblical author was that? That's right, James. James said, if you hear but you don't actually do, you don't have meekness to submit to it, you're like a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror, we'd say today, and you see, oh, that's a mess, but then you walk away and you forget and you've done nothing about it. This book, we hold it up in front of us. Preachers hold it up in front of us, and sometimes people get mad at preachers for the biblical truth we expound. But all we did was hold the mirror up. Don't get mad at us. We're we're just—it's the same mirror we look in. And often we look in the mirror and we say, "Oh no, I need to fix that. I need to change that. I need to submit to the Lord in that area." We all, as let's see, with open face. Amen. No mask wearing. Says with open face. Amen. <laughs> Get in some some anti-mask preaching on that one right there. With an open face, amen. Doesn't say anything about a mask. Moses had a mask on in the previous verses and he took it off, amen. Eventually. He left it on for a while, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) With an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We look in this book and see the glory of the Lord. And what do we do? As we keep looking at Jesus in this book, looking at the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It ought to be that we're continually, little by little, looking more and more like Jesus. Just more and more like the Lord Jesus till we all get to heaven and what happens when we get there? He says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We bear now, Brother Hoyle, the image of Adam. You ever wonder what Adam looked like? Just look around the room. He looked like this. But one day we'll be with Jesus in our glorified bodies and we will perfectly bear the image of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And in the meantime, we're... Presenting ourselves because we're motivated. A constant consideration of the mercy of God leads to a constant conversation of presenting ourselves and living a separated unto God life and a transformation, a metamorphosis. Now, I want to caution you again don't make be not conformed the great overriding goal. Oh, I just got to make sure again today I'm not conformed to the world. Let's, let's say certainly we must not be conformed to the world. The Bible says so. But the great overriding goal is be ye transformed. Paul said in Romans 1, separated unto the gospel. And I've heard some of these squishy, wishy-washy types preach. And they say, it's not a separation from, it's a separation unto. Well, you'll never be separated unto if you're not also separated from. But I do believe the emphasis must be unto, and so necessarily from and unto. You turn to God from idols. You turn from dead works to the gospel, from unrighteousness to righteousness. But if you live your life just constantly keeping a big list of I'm different from the world and I don't do this and that, you'll end up a Pharisee. Very dangerous. I think uh, I think I've mentioned you know I, I, I've I've preached so many times at Calvary now and at Lighthouse I forget what illustrations I've used where but who cares if the Holy Spirit's bringing it to mind whatever I've probably told you before about Chris Teal and Angela Teal and the two of them getting saved they they were single people he was 18 or 19 when he got saved she's maybe 16 and got baptized and they, they're growing up in the Lord and they began to have an interest in each other did did all of that biblically and all. They got married, and one day they were just growing and doing so well. And I sat with them in my office. I said, I'm going to warn you about a very grave danger, a great snare. I said, you two are doing so well. And God just turned their lives around. They cleaned up their lives, and now they're living like Christians and just living great testimonies. And they've put off so much junk, you know, and the old rags that they'd been remember lazarus come forth but then loose him and let him go you know you got to get those grave clothes unraveled and all so we we're doing a lot of that i said you're in a very dangerous place now to where all of a sudden you're going to be looking around at other people and going well well wow, we sure are doing a lot better than them we're sure doing a lot more than they do we sure are uh, giving a lot more than them and we're avoiding these different things and that those things and we don't talk that way anymore and we don't go there anymore And I said, if you're not careful, you're going to forget what you are. And you're going to start thinking you're better than everybody else. And you're going to become disgusting little Pharisees. And they listened to me. And they've kept on living separated holy lives and serving the Lord and zealous for the Lord. But they have been very careful not to be at a place where we're up here and you're down here and they're out in Nevada doing the work of the ministry and they are learning as people are getting saved and all, they're learning to work with them where they are. And, and obviously we work with people where they are. We don't want them to stay there. We want them conformed, not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So of course, leading them along and all, but patiently and gently doing that, not being a couple of Pharisees. And, you know, one reason I knew to warn them about that, because I went through that. Because I went through that. And I saw others go through it. I grew up in a good home, saved at a young age. And I went through a period of time in my late teens where, I mean, I'd look around at everybody. And I, I, I could tell you 25 ways I was better than them. I was superior to them because of the things I didn't do and the words I didn't say and the music I didn't listen to and the books I didn't read. And I was better than everyone. And it was my dad who sat me down one day in his office. He was also my pastor. And he basically, I mean, he read me the right act. And he said, you're, you're going to not be used of God. And, and you're just miserable and you're mean. You think you're better than everybody. And he pinned my ears back. And he hates it when I tell this story. He, I told this in our church a few weeks ago, and he said, he cried. He said, I wish you wouldn't tell that. He said, well, I, I feel bad. I was so hard on you. It's exactly what I needed. Jesus was harder on Pharisees than anybody. And I remember sitting there on his, on his couch in his office, and he told me all that. And I sat there, and the first thing I knew, my face was high and tears were coming down. And I was sitting there internally thinking, I try to be a good boy. I try to be a good son. I try to never do anything wrong, and I'm in trouble for that. And then the Lord and my heart began to bring some things up to me. And I realized this man loves me and he's telling me this. And I said, well, I said, then I need to get right and stop being that way and change. It was one of the best days of my life. God gave me grace to see that I was not really being transformed. I was so focused on be not conformed that I was just becoming a Pharisee. I thank the Lord that he did that in my heart. And maybe you need that tonight. Maybe someone needs that tonight. By all means, don't you leave here and say, oh, Bobby Mitchell gave me a pass to be worldly. No, a thousand times no. But I'm saying, be conformed to the image of Christ. Be more and more like Jesus. And there's no way to do that outside of this book. It's looking in this book and just yielding, letting the Lord work in you. And so being transformed. For it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure that ye may prove he says so you have motivation presentation separation you present your body you you're separated unto the lord there's a transformation and and then the result of obeying this present be not conformed but be transformed the result is you will be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The little Greek word eis, E-I-S, it's used different ways. Some of you I know are taking Greek right now, first year Greek. It's used in different ways. This one here speaks of it like, you do this, you present yourself, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed, and all of that will bring or accomplish this. All of obedience to that will accomplish, will result in you proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I've heard some preach, and I believe it's an error. They say, "Well, you know, there's the good will of God, and if you miss that, there's the acceptable will of God, and if you, you know, and then there's the perfect will of God. Shoot for the perfect will of God, but you might not hit that. But at least you can get the good will of God and the acceptable." I don't see that construction here at all. It is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's a description of the will of God: good, acceptable. And perfect will of God. Good carries the idea here of upright. Jody, upright. Good carries the idea of upright. How do you know something is upright? How would you know that this pulpit is upright or that door is framed properly so it's upright? One thing you can do is you can hold the plumb line up to it, isn't that right? What is the Bible? The book of Amos speaks of God's Word being the plumb line. And, and so, you know, if you're checking to see if this is upright and you hold the plumb line to it and it's, and it's not upright, you don't take the plumb, Bob, and you don't tweak it a little bit and say, now it looks <laughs> like it's right. You don't do that. You fix this. You fix this. To get it plumb, you change that which you are working on. You don't move the plumb, the plumb, Bob, the tool. And we take our lives and we continually put the Bible up against our lives, up against our thoughts, up against our attitude, our motives, the thoughts and intents of the heart. We put it up against uh, everything, every relationship, all of it. The pastor, of course, has put it up against the church, holding the Word of God up against it, and maybe says, We're out a little bit here. We need to straighten this up because of what the Bible says. We don't say, Well, we need a new version, we <laughs> need a new translation. We'll just try to, we'll dig around in ancient languages until finally we can find a loophole here. That's not what we do. What we do is we say, let's get upright with the Word of God. We want to know the good, the upright will of God. And then the the good and acceptable, this has to do with the well-pleasing. It's acceptable to God. God is pleased with it. Remember Revelation 4.11. Everything is made for the pleasure of God. And the only way you can even fit in in the entire creation is to say, I want to please the Lord. Otherwise, you're out of tune. You're totally out of harmony. You know the Buddhists are always trying to get in tune with the universe. You can't get in tune with God's creation if you're out of God's will. You ever notice, I'm preaching through Jonah right now at home. You ever notice everything was in tune with God except Jonah. And look how that went for Jonah. I mean, the the uh, the the storm obeyed the Lord, and the fish obeyed the Lord, even the reprobate Ninevites <laughs> obeyed the Lord, and the, the plant obeyed the Lord, and the worm obeyed the Lord. But well, one person was totally out of sync with everything, and out of sync with God, and that was Jonah. Don't be like Jonah in the book of Jonah, but be sure that you are in that acceptable will of God. You can know the good, the upright, the acceptable, well-pleasing word of God, and then, of course, perfect. The word perfect has to do with complete, not lacking. You, you can live a life, this is our goal here, living a life 100% in the will of God. Well, what's the word will mean? Well, that has to do with the determinations of God. This is going to bring us back around to the book. Here's the, here's the determinations of God set forth. Here's the will of God set forth. The revealed will of God right here. And when we live in this, God will certainly be leading us along in his secret will, sovereign will, providential will, whatever term you want to use, if it's a good term, but he'll lead us along as in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will be directing our paths. But you cannot, you cannot live a life proving that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, if you're not one who's presenting your body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. You can't skip over the presentation, separation, transformation, and just feel like, but I'll know the will of God somehow. You won't. You will not. And so I want you to think about this. You think this is something that's important? You think... Well, I I want to be proving, be testing, be be knowing so that I can be consistently doing God's will. I want to know this. I don't know how it is for you. I absolutely want to live in the will of God. I I could not imagine a life any other way. And that's something the Lord helped me determine when I was about 19 years old. I still have the, the Bible where I wrote in the back cover. I wrote out a commitment between me and God about living in God's will. And I have not... Uh, I can't stand up here and say, I've never swerved, never deviated in any way. But I'll tell you this, by the grace of God, where I have swerved, I've done the will of God in confessing that sin. That's part of God's will too. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I can look back now from 1986 when I was saved, now 2022, from almost 12 to 48 years old, and by the grace of God, I'm living a life in the will of God. And it'd be impossible if I, if I was not presenting myself and if I was not uh, living a holy life by the grace of God and being being transformed. It's all by God's grace. It's all to the glory of God. And God's system that He has set up using His pastors, using other church members, using the church, of course the Holy Spirit working through all of this. Don't you want that to live in God's determination, in God's will, in what God has spelled out for us, living for the pleasure for the will of god and so then that leads us right into the conversation and verses 3 down to 21 my a great point that i've been driving with here and, and driving and towards is that romans 12 1 and 2 are practical this is not just this is big one big experience you had right after you were saved you know Sometimes us preachers, and I talked a little bit about this at the men's meeting, sometimes, you know, we emphasize the big mountaintops. That's just normal. You know, the Bible tells the story of David. It doesn't tell about the million times that he washed his hands. But he did. It doesn't tell about all the times he just woke up and rubbed the sleep out of his eyes and got going. But he had to do all of that. Is that Right. It doesn't tell us about all the times that Peter rinsed his mouth out after he ate, but he had to do that. We don't make a big deal in the Christian life about just the daily grind, but there is the daily grind. It's part of the Christian experience. We wake up and we maybe we pray and we read the Bible and while we're driving into work, uh, you know, we're thinking about something, maybe talking to the Lord, and we work for the glory of God and we go home and we and we interact with our spouse and our children and have some family Bible time. Maybe we mow the lawn and whatever. And, and I was really preaching at the men's meeting about how we need to do all to the glory of God, even what we consider the mundane things. And we can do that. And the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit-led life, a life just simply obeying the Scriptures, doing God's will. Well, preachers often will tell about, you know, I got saved at this point, I got baptized, and not enough talk about when they got baptized, by the way. I started years ago realizing that. Matter of fact, the first time I preached at Calvary, I sat across uh, at the end of the long table at the Webb's house, and I said, uh, "Brother Webb, would you tell me your testimony?" And he told me. And I said, "Well, tell me about when you were baptized." I had just started doing that because reading Baptist history—that was that was a big—that uh, was a big deal. It is a big deal. Who baptized you? When were you baptized? Scriptural authority and all of that. And I said, um, "Well, what about your baptism?" Because I'd always just heard people give their salvation testimony. Well, he told me his baptism testimony and. You know, my mom should have been there helping me because I said, well, then you've never been scripturally baptized. I <laughs> just blurted that out. I'm like 28 years old, <laughs> and he's Dr. Gary Webb, very gracious. And I think he took his glasses off, and he said, well, I wouldn't say that. And I said, well, the group that baptized you was not a biblical church. And we then talked for about an hour there, and I remember his kids kind of looking and you know, thinking like, wow, what's going to happen here? And Mrs. Webb's looking, and, and you know, by the grace of God, uh several years later because not because of what i said because what the lord showed him and taught him he ended up getting baptized my dad went through the same thing my dad had been baptized by the ferguson bible church in indiana pennsylvania great preacher there and everything but it was not a biblical church wasn't wasn't biblical at all it was a bible church really a presbyterian church and so dad got baptized when i was about 14 years old even though he was a baptist pastor It's important to know about baptism, to talk about baptism, to consider your baptism. Very important. Matter of fact, multitudes of Baptists died because they said, my baptism was not right and I'm getting baptized now. And people act like that's like baptism's no big deal. There's a whole host of our forefathers and those ladies also who went before us who actually suffered tremendously and many even died because of them realizing I need to be baptized scripturally. Amen, it's a very big deal. But sometimes we tell about salvation, we tell about our baptism, and then we tell about a couple other, well, the the night God called me to preach, you know, or the night that somebody was preaching and I said, well, I just need to really obey Romans 12 and say, I present my body a living sacrifice. And and we give the impression without meaning to that it's like just one big kind of big thing to another, to another. And this is one of those passages, Brother Hoyle, where that tends to happen. And and I've said it last night and tonight. Said it a few different ways. We tend to look at it like, okay, you know, yeah, like we'll write up at the top of the page, I, I obeyed this, you know, in, uh, in April of 1974, <laughs> or in 2001, I, I, I obeyed Romans 12.1. But now we're going to see how, I don't believe that's just a one-time, one-and-done, never think about it again, just look back and say, praise the Lord. We're going to see how I believe it has to do with conversation. Verse 3, what's the first word in verse 3? Now, don't worry, we're not going to go all the way through the chapter, <laughs> word by word tonight for so that's a connecting word isn't it 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 can be looked at as because for i say so you need to present your bodies be not conformed be transformed so that so that you'll know the good and acceptable perfect will of god so you can live a life of the perfect will of god for i say through the grace given unto me paul attributed what he did for the lord to the grace of god we should too i say through the grace given unto me this is the gracious word of god here to every man that is among, what's the word? You. So that's a plural. That's talking to all the members of the church there. You're in a group. Listen, even when you pray, Jesus has you immediately, immediately in the prayer that He gave us, remind ourselves that we're not loners. Our Father, which art in heaven, our Father. I'm not the only one, I'm not the Lone Ranger Christian. Our Father. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man, every individual that is among you, you're a church, a group, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He says it again down in verse 16. Do you see it? Be not wise in your own conceits. You can look later at Proverbs 26 and you can see the Lord spell out uh, what a fool is. And it's really ugly. All the way down to a fool is like a dog that goes back and eats its own vomit. Isn't that pretty ugly? And right after that, Mrs. Byler, he says, it's like God says, I'm going to show you a fool is so bad, he's like a vomit-eating dog. I wouldn't say that in mixed company, but it's in the Bible, right? And then God says, but I'm going to show you a class lower than a fool. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceits? There's more hope of a fool than of him. I don't need a church. I don't need any pastor. I don't need anybody telling me anything. I, I, I can figure it out all on my own. Oh, every man that is among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think soberly. Be not wise in your own conceits. According as God hath dealt to every man, this is in the context of the church, the measure of faith. The Bible says, Ye are complete in Him. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the Bible says that in the church, you have the fullness of God. What about that? Filled, the church is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just you out on your own doing your own thing, me doing my own thing. I'm in a body. And I am a member in the body. So, through the grace given unto me, we're seeing the conversation now. Here's the truth through the grace given unto Paul. You need to think soberly. God's dealt every man the measure of faith. You don't have all of it yourself. You don't have all the wisdom yourself. There's wisdom in the body. The manifold wisdom of God is in the body. For as, just like we have many members in one body, the human body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing, different gifts, according to the what? grace that is given to us it's almost like the lord is using redundancy here because he already said according to the grace well if it's grace then of course it's a gift but the grace that is given to us i think when you see these redundancies in scripture like the free gift i've had critics say to me the guy wrote me an email years ago. We did an Everdoor direct mail and I had a gospel message on it that I wrote and I said, salvation's a free gift. And this smarty pants English professor at a local college, he wrote and said, dear Reverend Mitchell, you know, that's a redundancy to say free gift. Yeah, it's a Bible phrase. There's times when God is really making the point very clear. It's a free gift, the grace given unto us, or excuse me, the where are we, where are we here? Having then gifts differing according to the grace. Yeah, that is given to us. So we have grace. This is the conversation. The will of God for your life and my life, the will of God for us as a church also, the will of God, you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God, the will of God fulfilled in the church of God the church of God fulfilling the will of God with each member knowing their place and doing their part in the perfect will of God, the will of God and the church of God. Now, it's all of grace. All these gifts are of grace. They are the grace gifts. What we could never earn, deserve, or pay back. If you, have a, you do have a gift. If you're a church member, you have a gift. And you didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You didn't work it up. It's a grace gift. And when you think of your gift, and I think of my gift, be not wise in your own conceits. Don't get puffed up. It's, it's grace. And, oh, God forbid that we should think, well, why do I need you? What if I said, why the gift of prophecy, preaching, exhortation? Why do I need you people? Well, how do I exhort if nobody shows up for me to exhort? Be sober about it. Be humble about it but have grace. So the conversation, we're looking at the rest of the chapter this way. Grace, number one, to fit in the body. Everybody say, fit in the body. Grace to fulfill the ministry, everybody. Fulfill the ministry. And then thirdly, grace to fight the good fight, everybody. Fight the good fight. And so let's look at these quickly. We'll look at some of these at least tonight. Let's see. So we being many are one body in Christ. Everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We know this uh, given by the Holy Spirit. So let's fit in the body and fulfill the ministry. Uh, don't, don't, don't be your own deal over here doing your own thing. Some little her- that's a heretic, by the way. A heretic isn't necessarily somebody that's out here denying the Trinity. No, that is a heresy. But you can be a, a heretic and be a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church or Calvary Baptist Church. You just refuse to fit in. Titus 3, is that use of the word heretic is all after all these commands about Titus, the pastor, teaching the people to be set in order, to have the right bishops and and the church set in an orderly fashion. Older women, younger women, older men, younger men, pastor, and all this, just this flow of, of fitting in together. But then you have this one that just, he won't fit in the body. And so he says in heretic, after the first and second admonition, Reject. That's not just talking about Joel Osteen and the Pope. It's talking about right in a real Baptist church, someone who they're just out here. Uh, I mean, I could name names. <laughs> I, could, I could name names from Calvary Baptist in years gone. They're gone now. And the, I knew they would be gone because every time I was around, it was very obvious. They would not fit in. Would not fit in. Always just over here doing their own thing. No consideration of the body. Well, I believe this and I say that and I'm doing this and I'm going and whatever, you know. Well, what's the body think about it what does the body need you nope i'm doing my well i don't i don't believe in faith promise so i don't participate okay just hold a sign i don't fit in the body well we meet at this time we have a men's prayer meeting at this time and i don't show up for them well then you're not fitting in the body what's wrong what's going on you know pastor uh pastor has a sunday school program set up but I'm not letting my kids go to Sunday school because I don't want anybody in the world in the church anywhere, influencing my children but me. I'm the only influence they can have. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. We had a family Well, when we were just a fledgling little church. This guy with a bunch of kids and a bunch of money. He was rich. He had apartment buildings and everything. And they came out a few times. And, and uh, he said, we want to join the church. I said, well... You've been visiting, so I'm not. I don't blame you. You haven't had your kids go to Sunday school and junior church. I don't blame you for that. You don't know who we are. But I said, if you join, uh, you're going to certainly let us see them fit in the body and and do that as well. We have very careful teachers and biblical, you know, pattern and all that stuff. We really seek to edify them. It's not a bunch of fun and games. He said, Oh no, no. I am in the uh, what do they call it? The family family centered church movement. And so, you know, we, we, you know, we keep our children with us and all. I said, then you shouldn't join Midcoast Baptist Church because God has led us this way and you're not going to fit in and it's just going to be a constant people look and then you'll infect somebody else pretty soon. They'll be going, why don't your kids go? And you'll tell them and they'll go, well, that kind of sounds good. And I said, you won't fit in the body. So, you know, and I was kind about it and all, but I said, that won't work. And so they said, okay, we're out of here. Fit in the body. Grace to fit in the body. Grace to realize you're not the only member. So grace to fulfill the ministry. Let's talk about that. Having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy... Well, prophecy is just another word for preaching. There used to be prophets who told the future, and now they, they were foretellers. We are foretellers, right? We're, we're prophesying when we say, Thus saith the Lord, and we're giving Scripture and preaching it. Whether prophecy... So you have the gift of prophecy. Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. The proportion of faith. The word proportion is from a Greek word, analogia. So that speaks of an an, an analogous situation, analogy. It speaks of lagia, the word. And basically what he's saying, Brother Jody, I believe what he's saying here is if you're going to prophesy, then you prophesy according to what the faith is what the word is regarding the faith once delivered the scriptures that god gave us to put it very simply preach the word don't come up with something else this is the proportion right here we don't go beyond that we don't go beyond the bible we preach the word where we get into preferences where we get into opinions it's absolutely safe to say say this is what i i think ought to do about this and you know we have we have things in our church you do as well where pastors uh, say, look, I'm not giving you a chapter and verse on this, but I am the bishop, I'm the, somebody's got to be the leader, and I'm saying that we're going to you know, have the offering be this kind of music, or we're going to have the special at this time, or I want you to wear a tie if you come up here to speak or whatever, things like that. But in preaching the Word of God, we preach the Word of God. We preach the Word. And that's the idea here with let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry. Your gift is ministry. You you have the gift of service. Oh, thank God for servants in the church. Now, in one sense, every member ought to serve. We agree with that. But some people are especially gifted to serve. And so what do you do if you have that ministry? Well, he says, let us wait on ministering. In other words, if you have the gift of ministry, actually do it, actually do it. Just like a waitress is actually doing it. She's waiting or he's he the waiter is waiting on tables, so be sure you do that. The, the idea continues on. He that teacheth wait on teaching is how it should be understood. Or he that teacheth on t- actually teach. Some people, oh, I think I'm a teacher. I think I'm really gifted to teach, but nobody learns anything. So at some point, if you think you're teaching, but nobody learns, are you really teaching? <laughs> Pastors must be apt to teach, hey, Amen. You ever heard a man? Man, he's got a lot of charisma, a lot of personality, very fervent, tells the greatest jokes and stories, but he's not apt to teach. He can't be a pastor. I've heard pastors say, I can lead someone to the Lord, baptize them, and I can pastor church, but I can't teach a man so that he also could be a pastor. So I can't fulfill 2 Timothy 2 2, so I ship him off to Bible college. Well, then you're confessing you're not apt to teach. I said that to one man. He said, don't say that. Don't say He said, There's all kinds of pastors that can't teach men how to teach and preach. I said, then they're not pastors. Don't say that. Well, that's just protecting the modern idea that we have. It's a joyous thing. Actually, it's awesome to think about every pastor training other men to pastor. But you may even be a teacher in the church and you're not a pastor. But actually teach, actually be teaching the Bible. He that exhorteth, wait on exhortation. In other words, a builder-up type, an encouraging type. One that uses the Word of God and says, hey, remember what the Bible says, let's obey that. And we would all be edifying one another, but there are those particularly gifted to exhort, to put in courage to obey the Scriptures. He that giveth, let him do it with what? What is it, everybody? Every believer ought to be a giver, but some are especially gifted to give. By the way, you ought to ask yourself a question about that. Why has God given me so much? Is it just to get more, do more, go more, see more, feel more, experience more, eat more, save more, heap up more and more? You know, one reason God has us work is that we, it says that He may give to him that hath need. And do it with simplicity. In other words, no showing off, no boasting, no blowing trumpets. No, well, I want to give a testimony. I'm just so thankful that I could raise my faith promise by $100. Just be quiet. Just do it. Simply give. He that ruleth, that would be the pastors in the church, or those that the pastors have delegated some administration to. I know, I think Mrs. Hoyle, I think there's administration of the nursery program there. Pastor has delegated that authority to you. I know Brother Hoyle has some delegated authority. I'm sure others do as well. Whatever that is, be diligent about it. Do your best. Give your best. Don't slack. Don't say, oh, I just haven't been paying attention to it. That'd be sin. And obviously pastors, we must rule with diligence. He that showeth mercy. Every believer ought to be merciful, but there are those especially gifted to be merciful. And isn't that a blessing? And probably with each of these, someone comes into your mind as you hear this, and maybe you yourself come to mind on a certain gift because God has given. And Oh, and by the way, I've heard men preach on know your gift and fulfill your gift, and I've heard them give like 150 ways to figure out your gift, all kinds of charts and graphs and tests. I don't do any of that stuff. You know how you'll know your gift? You'll know it as you talk about it with your pastor. Amen. Talk about it with your pastor. And, and you and your pastor, and he'll include others wisely. And, and actually, your gift, you won't have to conjure it and sell it. It's obvious. When Chris Teal said to me, he said, I, he's this scared kid. And he said, I think God might be making me a preacher. I said, I'm glad you finally saw it. I never told him before that. And I said, but I said, you know what, brother? I said, let's not you and me determine that. Let's take it to the church. Because if the church is sitting there going, that's crazy. Put the brakes on. We had a Sunday school time. We had everybody there. And I said, Brother Teal uh, believes that God may be working in his heart to be a preacher. I said, what do you think? I remember old Mr. Wellner stood up and he said, I've been seeing that since from the time that kid was saved. He said just every time we have testimonies, he wants to talk. He's just fervent about learning the Word of God and evangelizing. And and he's always wanting to know, what do you think this verse means? What's that say? And then Dan Watkins stood up and said, it's so clear, so obvious. And we went around the room, and what a difference that makes. Imagine a night where Chris Teal is in Nevada. Maybe he's a little discouraged tonight. Maybe he's thinking, wow, you know, what am I doing? I I feel like uh, this is so hard. There's so many battles and all. He can think back, no, I know I'm called, and I know I'm gifted. And I don't just have it because I felt a burning in the bosom. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ saw it, observed it, put the stamp of approval on it. They acknowledge what God has done, and the church ultimately ordained me and sent me. That is a blessing. And with all of these gifts, you won't have to try to whip it up and conjure it up. It's a gift, it'll be obvious. You'll be able to recognize it with your church and your pastors leading the way. The same thing's happening with Rhett right now. Same thing. Rhett comes in my office, he says, I think God wants me to preach, and I need you to teach me how to do it. And I said, well, that's great. right?" I said, write out some reasons why you think you're called to preach and come see me next week. Yes, sir. Next week he came and handed me this sheet of paper. But, you know, every testimony meeting, after he was, right after he was saved, all these testimonies, and he set up and said, I'm really horrible at speaking in public, but I just got to say this. And then he'd say something really wonderful. <laughs> and I finally said, you can quit saying the whole little speech about you're horrible about talking in public. Actually, you're good at it and that's a gift from God. And so fulfill your ministry. Fit in the body and fulfill your ministry. And we'll close with this. By the grace of God, this conversation, as you constantly consider the mercy of God, this conversation, I mean, there's a, you read the rest on your own later. There's a lot more there about let love be without dissimulation, et cetera, rejoice and and weep appropriately and all. And then we said grace to fight the good fight. You're going to have people that, well, well, you're living a life of surrender, and you're living a life of separation, and you're living a life of sanctification, and a life of serving, and all that. You're going to have people that are mad at you, and hate you, and misunderstand you. You know one of the greatest pitfalls you can have where you'll stop wanting to say what you ought to say when you ought to say it because of the fear of being misunderstood? How many times have we preachers gone into the pulpit and really we're just, Brother Russ thinking, I hope they don't misunderstand me. And we can get so concerned about it. We're witnessing to someone. We're so concerned they'll misunderstand us. Well, let's pray. Let's know the will of God. Let's be filled with the Spirit. And when we should say it, let's say it. People will hate you. People will get mad at you. Tell them the truth anyway. Do right anyway. And the way you fight the good fight, you don't try to get even. You don't try to get vengeance. You try to live. I love, don't you love verse 18? If it be possible, as much as lieth in you. Aren't you thankful for those qualifiers? Live peaceably. If it just said, live peaceably with all men, Lord, how do I? But as as much as you can in the will of God, live peaceably with all men. But give place unto wrath. Let God work out His plan of dealing with people that are fighting you and fighting the Lord and all. And so be good to people, even your enemies. Overcome evil with good. This is the righteous will of God conversation. The will of God and the church of God. Fit in the body. Fulfill the ministry. Fight the good fight all by grace. Don't be wise in your own conceits, but overcome evil with good. So with glory to god let's present ourselves with constant consideration of the mercies of god let's say lord by your grace i'll say yes lord yes to your will and to your way i'll say no to the world the flesh and the devil and i'll continually be taking the steps for you to work out the process of me being transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may very practically have a conversation of fitting in the body, fulfilling the ministry that you've given to me as a church member and fighting the good fight in the will of God.